Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Good morning, Harbor Church. How's everybody doing? Man, Woo! tell you what, what a week. What a week. Um, if this is your first time at our church or if you're tuning in online, checking us out, thank you. Thanks for being here. My name is Josh Adams. I'm the uh, pastor here at Harbor, and uh, we're jumping into our second week of a series that we're calling Not Today, Satan. And uh, it's a look at how it is that the devil attacks us and how we can be better prepared for that. And uh, man, I told you last week, once we jumped into this, it was going to be an ugly week. It's going to be an ugly time because uh, Satan hates this. And man, did it get, man, it's rough. It's a rough week. And uh, you heard my wife say, woke up this morning to no power, which was awesome. Um, so I got dressed in the dark. And I know some of you are like, we just assumed you got dressed in the dark all the time. Uh, <laughs> That's because you're mean-spirited. Um, but uh, no, it was good. It's good. I played a little game called Finding My Kid's Shoes in the Dark, which if you've never done that, it's uh, living hell. Um, it's, it's rough. So I hope you guys are having a great week. Yesterday, we couldn't have gotten a nicer day. I mean, for January, that was awesome. Followed up by Windfest, you know, 2020, whatever going on today. Um, I, I, man, I am, I am so looking forward to being able to walk through uh, these couple weeks and hearing some of the stories come back as we begin to kind of tackle some of the areas maybe we have seen a lot of defeats in and begin to find victory, not through our own power, but through the fact that Christ has already beaten the devil. He's already beaten Satan and he's given us the tools so that we can see victory in him. And I want to kind of lean into that. But I always start with an uh, intro question. I always kind of try to give you guys a little bit of a chance to raise hands and reply with me and kind of get your brains going. If you didn't have your coffee yet, maybe that'll help. Um, so other than, doing, uh, other than doing like a normal, just like give me your opinion, I, I wanted to show you something. I'm not sure if we can pull this off or not, but uh, there is an illusion or uh, this kind of like one of these uh, mind game things that, uh, that you can find out there. And it looks something like this. I'm going to put it up. This is, this is a dancer. And here's what I need. As you guys look at that, you, you're going to fall into one of two categories. You're going to see her going clockwise or you're going to see her going counterclockwise. And it all depends on which, which way you started with in your brain. The truth is she's going, but it's just a, it's a two-dimensional two image that just flips but your brain is filling in the gap for you. So you either see her turning with her left foot going counterclockwise or you see her with her right foot going clockwise. So how many of you see her with her right leg swinging going clockwise? How many people see clockwise? How many of you see counterclockwise with the left leg? Almost, almost half. Close your eyes and then if you tell yourself which way you want to see it, it'll go. It doesn't switch. It makes you think it switches. Close your eyes and then come back and it'll go the other direction. You, it just, it's, just a, it's just going back and forth. It's when your brain can get it. Some people can force themselves to look at it and see it both ways. If you're tooting online, I don't know, Adam, if we were waiting for the online people to see it. If you can see it online, feel free to type back and let us know which way you think she's going clockwise or counterclockwise. But the truth is, it, it, it's both. It's whichever one you look at, whichever way you go back. I sat there and stared at this thing forever. I was like, how, what the? And if you go look it up online, that they'll shade in a little bit that helps your brain pick up on one direction. Because once I saw it one way, it was so hard to see it the other. And then I had to like come back. But it really can go either one. And it's just kind of on which way you pick up. And this is what I wanted to start with. Not which way she really is going, because you can see it either. I wanted to talk about this idea of illusions or delusions, your perception, the way you're easily deceived, the way you and I can fall victim to some false logic, the fact that you and I are very susceptible to lies, to having our thoughts twisted. Last week, we talked about the devil. We talked about Satan, who is a master deceiver. Jesus called him the father of all liars. This is what he does. This is his game plan. And I thought if we're really going to jump in to the one who deceives us, if we're really going to be on guard for not being deceived or not being lied to, not being tricked, we should go back to the beginning. The Bible records a lot of what has gone on spiritually, the warfare that's taken place, obviously God and what he did for us, but he also gives us access to a look behind the, the scenes of what Satan does. 
we get a chance to study Satan's playbook. We watch it. Now, I do want to say this because I, I was encouraged about last week and how many of you responded, but I don't want you to make the mistake. I could show you the Patriots playbook. You're still not going to beat them walking out onto the field. I mean, we'll all know. I mean, maybe the Titans did. They, <laughs> they had some of our players too. Um, but knowing what's coming doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you, you, you're not, you're not going to fall victim to it anymore. I, I heard some people, and I want you to be excited. I want you to find the victory that Christ has for you. But I want you to understand that Satan's powerful. And that you going out in your own power, you going out in, in your own strength, is not healthy. There's stories in the Bible about people that thought they could go toe-to-toe with evil forces and exclude God in their life, and they could somehow manage, and, and it, it turns out disastrous. My goal is not for you to go, oh, I, I, I heard everything I need. I can walk out of here knowing what I got to do. I want you to walk out of here, yes, knowing how Satan's going to attack you, but I want you to know how to counter that. Now, it's good. We get a chance to see his tactics, and I'm going to show them to you. We're going to go to the very first time that Satan appears. So we're going to go to Genesis, and let me start with like kind of setting up the scene. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. He speaks it into existence. It's void, it's dark, it's empty, and God brings light, and he creates air and water, and he creates land, and he creates the creatures, and he creates man, and he creates a place called the Garden of Eden, he, this beautiful place for Adam and Eve to live. And, and in, in all of that, it says that he just, he, he, he just makes it easy. There's no, there's no sin. There's no crime. There's no problems. The animals are peaceful. There's no weeds. There's no anything bad. And so God says, hey, all of this is for you. And all of these trees have all of this fruit. And then he says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruits, you're sure to die. So this is God's warning. This is God's setup. And this is how it works. And some people would say, well, why would God do that? Because as much as God wanted us to live in perfection, wanted us to live with him, he created us for a relationship with him. He wasn't going to force us. And this is the key part. He gives us free will. And in creating a beautiful garden and creating all these things and in will, and being willing as the creator of all things, this God of the universe, being willing to just walk amongst his, his creation shows his love for us. I mean, he speaks us into existence and then he wants to have a relationship with us. But rather than force Adam and Eve to love him back, he gives them the choice because that's that's where real love's going to come in. If they were forced, he might as well just made robots. And he doesn't. He says, hey, I love you guys. It's your choice if you want to continue this. So that's why this tree is there. It shows like, hey, you get to choose. Are you going to have this? You're going to go after something else. So he says, all these trees are for you except for that one tree. And so you kind of have the backstory. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to jump in to how Satan begins to manipulate it. And his, his plan from the very beginning was to separate us from God and then to keep us separated from God. He's been separated from God. He knows that in the end, he spends eternity in hell. And what he wants to do is he wants to bring as many people with him as possible. He's hateful. He's destructive. And his number one tool is to figure out a way to trick us and deceive us into thinking that we want something that God doesn't want for us. That's been his plan from the beginning. Now, as I mentioned last week, it's hard for us to hear these kind of messages and topics because it's not, it's not comfortable, and it's not fun, it's not really tweetable, it makes for a long Sunday, but I, I care more for you as your pastor to protect you and to help you go out of here armed than I do for you to go out of here just always excited. I hope it is exciting, but I, I do want you to know that this is going to be a little bit tough. And as I mentioned last week, Satan hates this. We read from John 10.10, 10. we read that the thief, this is, this is, this is in, like a, an insight to us about how, how Satan is, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, and the thief here is, is Satan. His goal, his purpose, his, his objective in your life, at your workplace, in your marriage, in your family, his goal in your uh, school environment, on your team, wherever you're at. 
His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. And Jesus says, hey, my purpose is, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And before we ever jump into today's message, you need to understand right now that Satan hates you knowing his tactics. He hates that you know that his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. If you think he's harmless, if you think you're above it, if you think he doesn't pose a threat, he's that much more dangerous to you. So he hates that you know his purpose. But you know what else he hates? He hates that you, you know that God has a big, bigger plan for you. Because some of you are living in denial of, of what it is that Satan is attacking you with right now. Some of you are living in denial about some of the defeats that you've been going through, some of the struggles that you've had, some of the addictions that you're struggling with, some of the, the relationships that you've burned. You're in denial about the fact that Satan has launched a masterful attack in your life and you've been falling prey to it. But some of you are, are, are aware of how bad things are. You're just not aware of how good things could be. So he doesn't want you to know his plan, but he also doesn't want you to know God's plan. And in that one verse that we read, he hates that verse because it exposes both. Would you bring it back up for me? It says his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy, but God's plan is to give you a rich and satisfying life. So understand that from the very beginning, Satan is, is out to ruin this. So if you want to write down points, and I, I know some of you are like, really uptight about points. I don't normally do them, but I'm trying to help you have stuff to remember. Here's the first point I want you to take away. When we read Genesis 2, everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. God just gives them a plan for how to keep it that way. And then Satan interjects himself in Genesis 3. Before we read Satan's attack, know this about him. Satan hates healthy happiness. And I, 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 there's a couple key words today, and when we begin to look at how Satan is, that I want you to key in on. And if you can't pick up on the fact that it's all caps, <laughs> it's the healthy part. I want you to get this about, about your adversary. He hates you. He truly hates you. And ultimately, he doesn't want you happy. But if he can keep you in a, an, an unhealthy happiness, that's still a win for him. Sin is destructive, and some of us have played around with that fire so much we've gotten burned. You can shake your head so you can help other people in this room not feel as awkward. We've messed around. We've screwed up. Some of us have seen the consequences of some of our sin. Some of us are living in it right now. Some of us are still trying to overcome some of the bad choices and, and mistakes that we've made. And he loves that. He loves destruction in your life. But if he can fool you, into living in some vague world of happiness that's also destructive, you just don't see it, that's a win for him as well. What he truly hates is healthy happiness. Adam and Eve were in a very happy, good spot, and they were doing it in a healthy way. And I, my definition of healthy here means they were walking close with God. You may be left alone in your happiness as long as it keeps you away from a healthy relationship with God. There's a lot of people who would say, Man, I'm not close with God, but things are going good. Look at my life. Do you have any idea how many times I've talked to people who have gone off the cliff, off the edge into destruction, that if you had backed it up a week before, they were happy. No, oh, I'm just happy. You ever seen a pig in slop? Oh, this is great. You're like, do you realize what you're doing? The Bible says that there's, there's joy or fun in sin for a season, that, that sin and, and screwing up, is enjoyable a little bit. Heck, that's why we give into it, right? The lust, the pride, the it feels good to, to hate. It feels good to, 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 to envy. It feels good to, to have a pity party. It feels good to, to go over here and take this for myself. Those things feel good for a season, but they're so destructive and they're so detrimental. He's okay if you're happy and screwing up your life. He's not okay if you're living in God's happiness. And so I want you to make the difference before we move forward because some of you are like, hey, he's not preaching to me. I'm, I'm a pig in slop. Just notice that that's what the problem is. We need a little bit more of what it is that God had intended for us. So he hates this environment for him. He shows up in verse 1. He says this. The serpent was the shrewdest. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. That the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? So, uh, so uh, Satan decides to take on the form of a snake. And 
Um, you got to remember, this is before the curse. This is before sin. So there wasn't the repulsion that most of you have towards snakes. That didn't exist back then. Animals weren't killing each other. They weren't killing humans. There was no, there was no viciousness. So she wasn't afraid of this snake. The snake looked beautiful, and Satan chose to, to embody himself in that form because it was very shrewd, very sneaky, very subtle. And we'll come back to that here in a minute. And what, out of the gate, understand, from the beginning, what is Satan's plan here? He comes up. He doesn't go, hey, Eve, how are you? Hey, what's up? Tell me about your day. He comes up, and the very first thing he does is he questions God. The very first thing he does, hey, Eve, God really say you can't eat any of this stuff? Now, by the way, Satan knew what God's rule was, but he asks, did God really say you can't eat the fruit of any of these trees? Now, did God say something along those lines? God said you can't eat the fruit from this one tree. Did Satan get it wrong? Was it an accident that he got it wrong? Or did he take something and he... Just begin to twist it just a little bit. And he begins to plant this doubt. And he loves to put in you and I this heart of doubt when it comes between us and God. What he loves to do in your mind, what he's trying to do right now and all week long, is he's trying to get you to doubt God's word in your life. God preserved his word. What I told you on the Sunday we took off, if you watch that message online, the importance of having God's word in your life, more so than having me or all this other stuff, have, have a personal walk with God. I'm glad that you're here at church. I love being your pastor. But you need more than just an hour once a week. You need to get God's word in your life as much as you can. And Satan hates you knowing it. He hates you seeing these promises. He hates you hearing the encouragement, the advice, the direction. He hates you being informed. And if you hear anything from me, his job all week long is to take the words that we read from, from God and begin to twist them. Did God really say that? Does God really mean that? You know what he's asking here? You know what he's asking in this verse? Does God even love you, Eve? Do you understand how this comes across? We read it and we're like, if I was Eve, I would get... Hold on. The way he's phrasing this is, if God loved you, wouldn't he let you eat all this? I mean, would a loving God really restrict you from this delicious-looking fruit? He's beginning to plant this seed that God doesn't... The seed of doubt in our mind that God doesn't really... Love him. I mean, if he loved them, he would let them have everything, right? Now, he already knows that they have access to 99% of everything out there. He's going to focus on this 1% that God says, this isn't for you. You don't really want the knowledge of good and evil like you think you do. You don't really want it. My two-year-old, sorry, just turned three, really truly believes that he wants like dessert for breakfast. I'm like, hey, son, you want some cereal? Cookies. I said, cereal. Cookies? Listen. So much like your mother. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Insist that he knows what's best for him. Now, I want you to understand this. He's frustrated because his father won't give him something that he sees, that he knows he likes, that he wants and could have if I would just get out of the way. Now, did I just describe my three-year-old, or did I describe your personal relationship with God? I see it. I want it. I think it's going to be good for me. If you loved me, you would give this to me. If you really cared about me, you would let this happen. You would take the bad away, and you would only leave the good. This is what Satan loves to do in our minds, and there isn't a person in this room who hasn't had a rough day or a rough week or a bad year. There's, there, there's, there's just, because of sin in this world and how messed up, humans are and, and how, how corrupt and evil the world is, we've all felt the ramifications, not just of our own sin, but of other people's sin. That's heavy. And what Satan loves to do is he loves to go, if God really loved you, then he wouldn't let this happen. If God really loved you, then he would let you do these things that you want in your heart. He would let you go after these desires and 
He wouldn't be so strict and so, 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 so heavy-handed. He wouldn't be this mean God who tells you to, to stay in this lane. He'd let you go have fun, right? Come on, right? How many kids? Listen, it always looks like more fun to play in the road. How dare our parents keep us out of the road? They must not love us. That's the logic of somebody that's immature, and Satan is playing off of that. Did God really say this? Did God really say that you can't eat any of this? He begins to twist God's word, and at the same time, he begins to twist and deceive and distort God's love. Why would a loving God keep this stuff from you? And she doesn't fall for it right away, and what you need to understand is Satan is patient. He didn't come and go, Eve, eat that fruit right there. Wouldn't have worked. But if he can begin to erode her confidence in God, if he can begin to pull away at her trust in him and begin to feel this desire inside of her heart that she deserves better, she deserves more. If he could do that, now he set her up on a journey to walk her right into sin. And if you think you're better than Eve, you need to go back into some of the dumb decisions that you've made, that I've made, that we've done and gone. Yeah, it was a baby step of stupidity after stupidity that I thought I was doing out of pride or arrogance. I thought I was helping myself and I ended up screwing up. Her reply in verse number two is, of course we can eat. Silly devil. Of course we can eat this fruit. We can eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle over there in the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Now notice what happened there. Satan distorted. He began to to take and tear apart God's word when he said, God says you can't eat any of this, right? Oh, no, no. No, you've got it wrong. God said we can eat all this. We just can't eat that one. And look what she did. God said that we can't eat it or touch it. I read for you God's rule. We read it just a few minutes ago in Genesis chapter 2. What did God say? He said, don't eat it. What did Eve do? She added to it. This is a problem with religion. They take what is God's plan, God's rules, and then we add to it. And then we wonder why people are so frustrated with it. What do you mean you don't like church? All you have to do is wear the right clothes, say the right thing, sit in the right spot. Don't take somebody else's spot at church. That's a crime. You have to do all these things in the way that they're supposed to be done, and then that's how you're going to have God's love. What? It's so often that given enough time when we don't stay close to God and we don't keep coming back to what his actual word was, that we begin to twist it in our mind. We begin to add to it. We begin to add restrictions on ourselves. We begin to feel as if, though, it's too much. And so there's many a car ride that you're probably going to have where you go, man, this Christian thing is too much. Loving God, he, he wants too much from me. You begin to doubt that you can actually keep up with all the demands. You may have, and I'm not sure this is everybody, maybe somebody watching, you may have gone to another church where... In order to show your love for God, you had to meet all of these criteria. And listen, I do think it's healthy to put in some guardrails. I think it's healthy to pursue God. I think you've heard me encourage you to read your Bible and pray, get into a, a connect group, get some godly friends, get some help. I, I think you, you do need to do these things. But what God says is that a relationship with him is dependent on if you put your faith in him. And he says, it's not through any of the works that you do, because then you would start bragging about it. And yet, in our mind, and most of my friends who don't believe in God or don't come to church, their mindset about what you and I are doing, about what it means to follow after Jesus, is a whole string of rules, right? There's all of this garbage they have, to, they have to live up to. And they just look at it, it's like, it's too much. Satan is not correcting her. Does anybody notice that? Oh, Eve, uh, hang on, I don't think God actually said that. <laughs> He loves that she's confused. He loves, Satan loves a confused Christian. He loves that when you, when you don't really know what God's plan is for you and you don't really know what God wants for you, he loves that you sit there and scratch your head most weeks and go, ah, I'm not going to worry about it. It's just too complicated. It's not. It's truly not. It's hard because it requires self-discipline. 
It's hard because your flesh will always go for the easiest option. So following after God and doing the right thing is never going to be super easy in terms of of how much your flesh wants to do it, but it's not complicated. It shouldn't feel as heavy as it does. If we were more educated, and this is probably where the church has dropped the ball, when some of you might have grown up in church like I did as a kid, we went to church for two services on Sunday morning, Sunday school and Sunday morning. Then we went Sunday night. We went Wednesday night midweek service. And we had visitation on Thursday. And we had Tuesday choir practice. <laughs> you went to church like six times a week. And you're like, this is too much. And, and I get that. I'm not advocating for that. So you can go, okay, cool. But what I do know is that a, the, the overswinging of the pendulum has been like, I'll go to church for 45 minutes and then I'm out. And that better be enough to cover me all week long. And we're not really where we need to be. Psalms 119 says this, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? Because I needed something else to do. I've hidden your, your word in my heart because I just, I didn't have enough on my calendar already. I've decided to memorize Bible verses because it'll help me not sin, is what that verse is saying. I've hidden your word in my heart so I may not sin against you. God's word is going to be the best defense you have for all the mind tricks that Satan wants to play on you. Because when you really know God's word, then you begin to say, this is not a God who hates me. This is a God who said, I've created all of this. When God gave him the stipulation about the tree that they're not allowed to eat, he started it by saying, I've created all of this for you. And it's all free to you because I love you. You didn't make any of it. I made it all for you and I'm giving you all of this access, but I'm asking you not to go after this one thing. And that's what the whole of that uh, rule, if we will, that God gave him says. And if she had gone back to that, she wouldn't have seen a God who was keeping something from her. She would have seen a God who gave everything to her. But she was, mis- she was mistaken. She was, she was misquoting scripture. She wasn't quite where she needed to be, and Satan loves that, so... What he does next is he twists the truth. He, he loves to tell twisted truths. And I, I said it this way, one, because it's alliterated, and two, because I hope you remember it. Satan is the father of lies and liars. And God says there is no truth in him. So how can you tell a twisted truth? I would... Uh, propose that there is no such thing as a twisted truth. That the truth minus pieces or the truth with added pieces is actually not the truth. It's a lie. But we hear something that sounds truthful, and so we believe that the whole thing is truthful. And it's not. He's, he's distorted the whole thing look at his reply she said hey god said we could eat all this we just can't eat or touch that one or else we'll die and the very his very next response in verse number four is you won't die oh he went from questioning god's word and god's love to flat out denying god said if you eat of this fruit of this tree you'll surely die and now satan's goes satan's not even not even playing around anymore he just goes oh no no you're not gonna die you're not going to die. Well, if we read the story, Adam and Eve do eat the fruit. If you're not familiar, I'm sorry, spoiler. <laughs> they do eat it. And I know somebody in here was like, dang it, I was hanging on. Um, they do eat it, and they don't die. So God lied. Satan's right, right? That's how it's got to come across. That's what I would read and assume. God said you would die, they eat it, and sure, they get in trouble, but they don't die. God kicks them out of the garden, the curse happens, a lot of bad stuff happens, and so this is what Satan is playing off of, because what, not, not only did they now introduce the idea of death on a physical level, their bodies were perfect. I'm so praying for that someday when we get to heaven. That was perfect. That just, no aches and pains, you know? I mean, it's be awesome. 
They had, no, they had nothing that was going to kill them. They had nothing that was going to destroy them. There was no diseases. There was no aging. And then when they did what they weren't supposed to do, when they ate the fruit that was forbidden, they invited death on that level. One day their bodies would break down and die. Something that we're still suffering from today. We have a very limited physical lifespan. But what God was speaking on was not just the introduction of that kind of death physically. He was talking about a spiritual death. Because God is perfect and righteous and holy and has zero sin, that one sin, that one doing what they weren't supposed to do was enough to separate them from God. And so that, that death that he's talking about is on a spiritual level. And you could say, well, that's not that big a deal. I mean, they ate an apple. <laughs> I don't know that it was an apple, by the way. That was just, that's a pretty minor thing. That little minor thing was disobedience, and it's a sin. And that one little tiny thing is, a, is in direct competition with a God who has done nothing ever wrong, completely pure, completely righteous. So there was a separation. This death meant that there was no longer walking close with God. And this is a hard thing for us to grasp. This is a part of theology that people don't want to, to hear and don't want to dive into is this death that came, and that's what Romans is talking about when it says, by one man's sin, Romans chapter 8, that death entered the whole world. Not just our physical death one day, but our spiritual death. You were born spiritually distant from God. Even as that sweet little baby, you had a sin nature. And now you've grown up to be a not-so-sweet big baby with a much bigger nature. And you are a really good sinner. And you are in need of having that distance fixed. But he loves to come in and attack and go, no, what God said will happen won't actually happen. You need to understand this about our adversary. Because he may not be tempting you to take a bite of fruit today. But what he's absolutely doing in the back of your mind is he's, is he's telling you that the consequences for the sin he's putting in front of you don't actually exist. Hey, that thing I want you to try... That stuff I want you to do, that attitude I want you to give into, that resentment I want you to let build up, that lust that I want you to fuel, that greed and envy that grows every time you look at that person, or jealousy. He loves that, and he tells you there's nothing wrong with that. There's, not gonna, there's no bad side to this. Give into this because it'll make you feel better. It'll be good for you. It'll take care of your problems. It'll teach them something. It'll, it'll, it'll be good for you. And all he does is he negates God's word where God says there is a consequence. There are ramifications. There is a penalty for sin. And Satan goes, no, 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 no. And that's been his plan since the Garden of Eden. You won't die. It's one verse. You won't die. God's liar. God's liar. You won't die. He knew not... It, that the, the, the physical death was the, the small part of that. The physical death isn't a big deal because th this, this, truthfully, our, our, our life here is, is really short. Eternity is really long. He was going to do the most amount of damage, and he played up the, the smallest of consequence. Ah, ah, it's not a big deal. Because eternity is forever, and he wanted that death forever. And so this is what he tells you and I. This is what he's been whispering in your heart, in your mind, every conversation you have with your kids, your parents. He's whispering it and planning it in the back of your mind right before you walk into your boss or you have one of your employees sit down with you. He's telling you they deserve this and you deserve this and you always feel like you're going to struggle because you're going to feel like I need to be vindicated. I need to be justified. I need to be heard. I need to feel loved or uh, empowered or appreciated. You're going to have all of this, and Satan's going to go, yeah, you deserve that. You don't need to be like Jesus. Jesus loved others more than he loved himself, but you need to love yourself more than you love others because you need to look out for yourself, and that's how you're going to be the best off. And I don't see a lot of people nodding their heads, but I know that we're all guilty of this, and it's so much easier to give into that, isn't it? And they go, okay, God, how can I love this person? How can I set aside my own flesh in this moment? He loves to tell a slight twisted truth. 
Why? Because anything less than the complete truth is a lie. Tennyson, if you know this author, he said it this way. A lie that is all of a lie can be met with and fought outright. But a lie that is partly the truth is a harder matter to fight. And so what Satan does in these twisted truths is he will take a truth and just slightly alter it. Why? Because it's hard to fight when there's a little element of truth to it, isn't there? Well, Greg's a jerk, so he deserves you to be mean to him. No, maybe Greg is a jerk. And if your name's Greg, stop being a jerk. Um, (laughs) But he'll take the truth that Greg was rude to you last week and took your parking spot. That truth he'll take, and then he'll twist it and go, now you need to be mean back. But it started with the truth, didn't it? Greg was kind of a jerk last week. And that truth now inspires a not truth, a not help, a not a, not a healthy choice. He'll, he'll take a truth about something your kids did or something your parents did, and then that, that truthfully did happen, then he'll use it to twist why you need to react in a different way. He'll take a fact about you and destroy you with it. This is why, whatever your name is, it would be beneficial if when your name gets brought up at work, followed by a lie, that the truth part of it isn't truth. Let me explain. Oh, do you guys know what Josh did? Yeah, he, he stole my, my promotion right out from underneath of me. Totally, totally swapped that out. Totally took that, backstabbed me, did all that. Well, has Josh had the kind of reputation to be that kind of person? If there's a truth that Josh is a jerk, that Josh is already kind of conniving, that Josh already looks down on people, that Josh is already shady, that Josh already has all these things, then people will begin to believe the things that aren't truthful because we didn't protect our reputation. So why does God tell us to live in a way that protects our reputation, that loves others? It's because someday when the deceiver, also, by the way, called the accuser, like throws things against your reputation... People will go, not her. She's not like that. Not him. But when there's an element of truth that you kind of are selfish all day long at work, you kind of are a liar and a manipulator all week long with your family, you kind of are, and then they, all these things, because you're not doing what you're called to do, then it's very easy for him to take the truth and then twist it, and people go, yeah, I, I can see her doing that. I can see him being like that. I hate when people are like, wow, man, you know, Josh is in a bad mood. No, I'm not. I guess I come across that way sometimes. Like, that's on me. I need to do better protecting myself by the way I act when it's not there. But what we do is we really screw that up. What what if your kids or your spouse or your boss or your employees or your neighbor or your friends, what if what they saw from you on a consistent basis gave them the footing to hear a lie when it comes out? Not him, not her. They're not like that. They wouldn't do that. What is your reputation? What is your lifestyle like right now? Does it protect you or does it lend itself to go, yeah, I can see him doing that. Oh, I bet she did. This is where Satan loves to operate, just for the record. Following verse after he denies God as he says this, God knows, this is Satan, you're not going to die. You're not going to die, Eve. God knows that as soon as you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened and then you'll be like God. That's what he's afraid of. You're going to know both good and evil. Once again, that's true. Kind of. They were going to know good and evil. He took a truth, and then what did he he do with it? God doesn't want you to be a God. God's selfish. God doesn't love you like you think he loves you. God is is trying to protect his power. Now, what was God truly trying to protect? He's trying to protect Adam and Eve. And what Satan did is he said, listen, God doesn't love you the way you think God loves you. Now, I want to speak a hard truth over this room this morning, okay? Some of you have had a conversation that has hurt you deeply. You've had an action that has messed you up. You've had a diagnosis that doesn't seem like it's going to work out you've had 
some kind of event. You've had something that is anything but good. And Satan is right now trying to tell you that's because God doesn't love you. It's because God doesn't care for you. It's because God isn't who God says he is, and you don't need to trust him. And if you're sitting here today going, that's not me, it will be. If you're not feeling that right now, you're going to feel it soon. So if you're not in that spot right now, remember this conversation because shortly coming, God is going to try to work in your heart. He's going to try to to do something in your life and call you to step out and take a step of faith. And when he does and you begin to feel that pull, you better believe that your adversary is going to step right alongside and go, don't do that. Don't you trust God? God doesn't love you. God doesn't have it the best for you. God doesn't want you. That's going to cost you too much. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be too painful. That's going to be too much. Why don't you do what you need to do? This is easier. And, and, and if you do that, it's because God is asking you to do something. He doesn't really love you. He, he, he's trying to protect himself. This is how Satan begins to spin this in your mind. When God calls you to love your neighbor, when God calls you to put somebody else above yourself, Satan's going to be right there to tell you, no, that's not what's really happening. That's not what's really good. Remember, he will always present you the easier option. I want you to hear that. He will always present you the easier option. How does that work? Not only does Satan hate your healthy happiness, not only will he tell you twisted truths, but he will supply subtle substitutions. If it was obvious to you, you're smart enough to go, now wait a second. Eternal sin, damnation, separation from God, and kicked out of the Garden of Eden for a piece of fruit, I'm not doing that. It's because he doesn't tell you that. Let me substitute your obedience to God with something that's going to give you the knowledge that God has. You're going to be like God. Doesn't that feel like a better substitution? Doesn't that feel like you can follow all these rules or you can take this bite and then you're going to have everything that God has? I'm going to substitute your obedience to God with your equality with God. Now, some of you might have heard the story of how Lucifer became Satan. What was Lucifer guilty of? He wanted to be God. This is why... God kicks him out. He puts on God and Eve the very thing that he did. God doesn't want you to have the fruit because he knows it'll make you like God. That's, that's Satan's sin. Satan's very sin was, I want to be God. And now he's putting it on everybody else. By the way, when we screw up or when other people screw up, misery loves company. <laughs> and if Satan knows that he screwed up, guess what he wants you to do? The same thing. He wants your pride. He wants your, your mind to go to the, exactly where his went, which is, why do I have to serve God when I can be God? Now, before you think that that would never be true of you, who do you worship the most? If I looked at your time, if I looked at where you invested your heart, your energy, where you invest your money, where you invest your time, would it point me to somebody who puts God first in their life, or would it point me to somebody who puts themselves first in their life? Now, you can make a thousand excuses, and right now, even as I say it, I'm like, well, I, I went through a hard time, and I got this, and I, I got plans, and I got... Da, da, da. He loves when we make us God, because you can't have two gods, and as long as you care about yourself more than you care about your relationship with the creator of the universe, then you're right where Satan is. He loves people who put themselves ahead of God. If you eat this fruit, you're going to have what God has. You'll be just like God. He gives us a substitute, and I'm going to come back so that we can read the rest of the story next week, and then we're going to tie it into how he attacks Jesus in the exact same way he attacks, well, very similar way he attacks Eve. But on this idea of substitutions, he will always give you something in place of what you already have, and will never tell you the consequence for it. He'll only sell you on the win. You've got this. This is what God's called you to. This is going to be the healthiest version of wherever you're at. 
So if this is a relationship, if this is a work environment, you fill in this blank. This is what God's got for you. He's going to substitute this, and he's going to tell you that they're the same. This one's just easier. You cheat on that person. You stab that person in the back. You, you do this. You, you, you get rid of this because this is so much easier, and it'll make you actually happier. He'll never tell you the consequences. He'll never tell you the damage that you're going to do. He'll never tell you and show you all of the things that is going to happen when you substitute God's best for Satan's lies because he wants you miserable just like him. So today, I don't want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with the only substitution that really matters. Peter says this, and this is, you got to understand, Peter, when he writes to the church, he's teaching them about what it is that they they really need to know. Like, guys, I got a small window to teach you what you need to know. And so he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never did anything wrong. He never deceived anyone, the exact opposite of, of Satan. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. This is speaking about a Jesus who ends up going to the cross. He never retaliated. He never threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried his own sins he carried our sins why because that's the substitution that mattered he carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin the death that we invited in when we disobeyed god jesus nullifies by substituting his body in our place to cover our sin not his sin. He substituted himself for us to cover us, to cover our death so that we don't have to be dead anymore. Somebody had to fill that void. The death that came into the world because you and I sin against God and are distant from God, Jesus substitutes himself. He didn't have to. He wasn't forced to. He willingly gave himself in your place, in my place. That's the best substitution. That's the one that matters. And it says he did that so that we don't have to be dead to sin and that we can live for what is right by his wounds this is quoting back from the book of isaiah when it prophesied the messiah coming it's by his wounds we are healed have you ever heard of that how can somebody else getting beat help us it's because he didn't deserve it but he took it in our place he stood in for you and i he he paid the ransom he 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 owned our debt so when Satan loves to tell you that God's best for you is never going to be as good as all these temptations that you feel, all these things that pull you this way, understand that's a cheap substitution that leads to your destruction. And the God that loves you, the God that created you, the God that has a home for you in heaven, he says, not only do I have something better for you, but you and all of this brokenness can't get there. So what I'll do is I'll give you my son in your place and he'll take your sin if you'll let go of your sin and embrace that what Jesus Christ did on the cross covers you so you can get to where you need to be, which is not only a home in heaven one day, but it's also where you can have God living inside of you even here right now. You can have the Holy Spirit inside your life. The Bible says that if you'll confess your sins and invite God in, then he'll come, he'll live inside of you, not because he owes you something, but because he loves you so much that he would pay what you owed. And this is the God that we serve, and it concludes by saying this, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls, and he's speaking to the church because they've embraced Jesus Christ. I read that part of this passage because I thought, man, that ties into what we opened with. We read it last week, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose, this is Jesus speaking, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. That's verse 10. Verse 11, the very next thing he says is, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In the same breath that Jesus says, Satan wants to destroy you and kill you, I want to give you a life that actually matters and I'm going to do that by stepping into your place that's the same thought we only read verse 10 last week verse 11 is that substitution that matters he knows 
that in order to kill, steal, steal, and destroy you, Satan will give you all kinds of cheap substitutes for God's best. In order to find real victory, Jesus substituted himself for you so you can have something greater than all Satan's lies. You can have a restored walk with God. Would you close your eyes for just a second? Would you bow your head and give everybody else in this room privacy? I want you to think about what we've talked about this morning. I want you to think about what it is that God might be trying to tell you right now in this moment. Have you been saying yes to Satan? Maybe because it's easy. Maybe because you've just been deceived. Maybe in the, in the quiet of this moment, you've, you've realized that you've been going down a cheap substitute road. You've been giving into a, a lie that's robbing you. You've been saying yes to your flesh. You've been saying yes to, to an attitude, a heart that, that, that isn't what God's best is for you. You've been saying yes to the wrong thing. Would you right now claim in Jesus' name, not in your own strength, but right now, right where you're sitting, would you claim victory? Would you say, God, because of what you did for me on the cross, I don't have to give in to this. I can find truth and I can find healing in you. And Satan's not going to get me today. He's not going to have victory in this area anymore. He's not going to rob me of that love or that peace. He's not going to keep my joy from me. He's not, he's not going to give me any more reasons and excuses. And I'm not going to buy into it that I have to do that, that it has to be that way. Not anymore. Not today. God, help me. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.